Good evening and welcome to Let's Talk Cricket here on Free Valleys Radio as we're approaching the final sort of week or so of county cricket in England. Of course, England uh, men are currently over in Pakistan playing that first series over there for a long, long time. Uh, really good analysis last week from Johnny about that, so we'll get some more thoughts on him about this series in a moment or so. But of course, uh, very good, a few good games going out. And of course, high drama as well in the women's one day international finishing at Lords against India. High drama. If you haven't seen it, where have you been? You know, what have you else have you been watching on the news the last few few days? You know, so we'll be talking about that at Lords points, and also really excited to be having our sort of last sort of conversation of such with Steve Kirby as well, of course, before Steve makes his departure out to Zimbabwe to be their new lead bowling coach. So we're looking forward to having a chat with him going forward about that and wishing him all the best and getting our final sort of update from him for how Somerset have viewed their season. So all that to come here on Let's Talk Cricket here on Thursday night, your usual spot here. Thank you as well if you've uh, listened to this afterwards on all available platforms for podcasting. We, uh, we know over the last few weeks we haven't got many podcasts out to you via those usual channels, but we're excited to say this one is going to be a fully packed, exciting, usual package for you to enjoy with Let's Talk Cricket over the next sort of hour or so. And I'm delighted to say for the first time in absolute weeks, hello Johnny Scowen, how are you? <laughs> hello George, I'm, I'm well thank you mate, I'm happy to be back. Um, still a little under the weather, um, but uh, well on the road to recover I think mate, how are you? Yeah, all good, thank you, mate. I'm I'm not too bad. It's uh, it's been an interesting few weeks. I think we've just both unfortunately been very very busy with uh, you know other projects. Obviously, you starting a new job. I've been quite busy with some midweek commentary for the football side of things for the station. So it's all been quite busy. So it's been a bit difficult really to try and find some time really to sort of record together. But hopefully this evening. Uh, the people listening will be very appreciative when we're back together doing our <laughs> doing our usual stuff. And obviously, not very well. Is that because uh, the cricket season's come to the end, mate? Oh, you know, I'm suffering from withdrawal symptoms. That's exactly what it is. Uh, no, I, it's uh, it is the classic case of of freshers' flu, unfortunately. Um, so, having gone back to to working at the university I work in uh, with all of the students, um, I have unfortunately been struck down. Uh, you can probably hear it in my voice; it gives me a nice sort of gravelly undertones. Um, but yeah, not 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 on the the well side, but. Uh, my cricketing hiatus doesn't last very long as the indoor league starts in a, just over a week's time. So uh, I will switch formats uh, to, to the indoor game and all the anarchy that brings and all of the headaches of trying to organise it as well. Uh, but uh, a very quiet end to my cricketing season uh, after the Dublin tour, I think. So it would be good to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, and it it was a really good listen actually last week listening to that on, <laughs> on, on there. So thank you for recording that on your, on your little journey through Dublin. But of course, obviously the indoor season. So, what is there anything different you have to do for the indoor season compared to the outdoor? <laughs> well, it's uh, the, the the game itself is very different. It's much much more fast paced, much more anarchic. Uh, six sides essentially. Um, yeah, you can score boundaries off the walls, but you can also be caught off the walls. Uh, yeah, if you if the batsman cross and complete a run, it counts as two. Um, and also, it's much, much harder to organise, uh, predominantly because our league takes place on a Sunday evening um, when people become uh, mysteriously unavailable uh, around three o'clock on a Sunday. Uh, and there's lots to do as well. Like You've got duty teams who do the scoring and help set up the grounds. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's quite fun. It's quite fast paced. Um, it's not for everybody, I think it's fair to say. We've got uh, three guys who are joining the side for our winter season who've never played indoor cricket before. Um, so we're taking them along to see the first round of fixtures that we're not playing on on Sunday so they can sort of see how it works. But I think it's one of those things where the only way to really learn how it works is to do it. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a baptism by fire for them because we're playing uh, uh, the team who, who entered the league at the very bottom last year and won every single fixture quite comfortably. So they're obviously a really good side and they're working their way through. So they're going to come up against us, the, the mid-table mediocrity from last year. It's going to be an interesting start, I think, but it should be an awful lot of fun and good to get some of the new guys involved in the game as well. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, go well with that one. Obviously, being very busy as well, looking to already plan as well going forward into next season's uh, Arbor Cricket Tour. Obviously, that going very well down in Parrot again. Obviously, not on the winning side this occasion, but a, a very close finish and obviously an improvement from a lot of players there as well, Johnny. 
yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. You know, I think this 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 is the bit of the game that I'm starting to find quite entertaining. Actually, it's that sort of formative period for some clubs and getting set up with some leagues and really sort of finding the really finding the home for a lot of these guys who've not played much cricket before. Um, particularly with the the pub team that we that we set up a couple of years ago, just really starting up this sport at the grassroots level has been has been a lot of fun, and it's a good chance to get a lot of these players going. Like you, know, our, our mate Joe who appeared on a few shows earlier this year um is really keen he wants to style himself as a as a as a spinning all-rounder in the style of Moeen Ali um I think he can turn it I've not really seen it but well yeah I went to the uh, the indoor nets with him uh, last week to see him swing about and put him under the bowling machine and see how he goes so I think he he wants to work hard over the winter and I know a few of the others do as well so it's just good to see them I think really engaging with the training and uh, really trying to get stuck into what makes them tick as cricketers ready for next year. I think they've all safe to say they've all got the bug. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think that's that's a really good thing to see. And uh, I, I suppose Johnny, because I've not really seen you, and obviously you kind of disappeared a little bit. Fun a few Saturday games. I didn't obviously tell you the heartbreak of um, the heartbreak of my season. Really, this might be a bit more <laughs> of a happier happier thing for me to reveal here. But um, so you know, I got um, barbecued again. Um, when I batted in the final game of the season, so uh, I, yeah. So for the listeners, um, obviously, unfortunately, I've not had the best of seasons with uh, dismissals. And when it's come to batting in league cricket, I've pretty much been out always possible, apart from handle the ball and hit wicket effectively. So uh, was batting with Ian. Uh, you've heard Ian on the on the on the show a couple of times with his coaching tips and talking about batting in T Twenty and things like that. Batting with him the other end. He calls me through for a quick single. He has absolutely barbecued me. And there's no one getting done at the other end. He's run past me. I've completely been run out. It's almost flashbacks to both of them running out boycott. Apart from I wasn't captaining <laughs> this captain side on this occasion. And um, anyway, I got out for two, Johnny. And you'll be pleased to hear. Uh, I'm very actually quite disappointed with this. We actually finished leveled on the same amount of runs this season. For the amount of runs really? we hit uh, for our club that's club. that's exceptional. I mean, that's exceptional. That because I played a few fewer games, that presumably means my average is better. Uh, yes, it does. It does. And <laughs> oh dear. I mean, I don't think that necessarily does either of us any credit. Well, it might do you some credit. It doesn't particularly do me credit. I, and then, of course, <laughs> Ethan, who um, who came on a, f- a few weeks, you know, a few weeks ago, talking about hundred and things like that. First thing he said to me when I walked off was pretty much, Haha, "You're now on, you're now on par with Johnny with Mount of Runs. Well done, mate." I was like, "Thanks, mate. I'm I'm now not going to do anything." And walked off and went for there. But obviously, that was the uh, high drama of my cricketing success. Um, I suppose as we've obviously finished our club, our, our cricket season as such. Before, like I said, you go into winter. Just trying to work out, really, what was your highlight of the summer? Oh, highlight of the, my cricketing highlight of the summer. Um, <coughs> I think there's been a few, um, certainly a few games that I really, really enjoyed playing. Now, I'm not sure I actually won a weekend league game, so I probably can't include any of those. Um, I think the first highlight was uh, with the Arbor guys when we won what was actually quite a routine 20-over game, but it's their first experience of, the pub team's first experience of winning a game of cricket. And it's one of those moments when everything you wanted to do worked. Um, like unfortunately, we lost the toss, which is a recurring theme for me. I think I've actually won. I've won two tosses this year uh, out of uh, ten that I've participated in. So I, anyway, that's by the by. But um, yeah, giving them a good win. Lots of people got runs. Most of the bowlers took wickets. Yeah, that was probably the first uh, real big one. Um, the other one for me was uh, a game we won right at the end of the season, playing in Dublin when we played at Phoenix Park against the civil service side. Um, really nice bunch of guys the pitch was wonderful we were really worried about the weather but as we were walking to the ground the sun suddenly came out the clouds parted almost exactly over the ground and you could sort of see it and it just seemed uh, almost perfect like a really a really positive omen uh, for the game ahead and it was nice to even though we were playing on an artificial strip play a really nice quality ground against a nice quality side and um, eke out a really good result so those two probably opposite opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of in terms of the high points, there's been a few comedic ones as well. Uh, you know, unfortunately, seeing you get absolutely skewered and just not even bothering to check the decision, just running straight from the wicket back to the changing rooms, not breaking, not breaking your pace, um, was probably my comedic highlight of the season. 
there's been a few high points. You know, I think I've really enjoyed it. It's been another good year of cricket. It tailed off towards the end just because stuff seemed to get in the way, as it often does. Um, but a, a good season's cricket, I think. Perhaps a bit too much, if you've asked my other half. I think playing for three different teams and trying to organise two of them might be a bit of a stretch next season. But plenty to look forward to, I think. I, I don't feel as underfulfilled at the end of a cricket season as I, as I normally do this year. So I'm going to take that as a positive sign. What about you? Well, I'm, I'm very surprised that me falling over and getting stumped wasn't your favourite comical moment of the season. More the fact that my captain had run me out and I kept running. It was probably more of a disappointment, but there we go. Um, I'm pleased I've picked up the comedic reward for the uh, for the end of season cricket <laughs> awards. I'm pleased I was able to add something to the season. I think probably my one highlight, personal highlight, was... Um, my my fielding this season, I thought it was very good fielding. I've I've played in very variety of roles, but I think the thing that will remind me the most is probably the uh, the slap off the boundary with my hand to keep the ball going across the boundary. Then the applause I got afterwards from spectators as such. And I think one of my other favourite moments, even though I didn't enjoy fielding in forty degree heat at that point and getting out for a golden duck, LBW was going and having a Mister Whippy and umpiring. I think that's quite a, <laughs> quite a nice moment. But those are my moments. Anyway, shall we actually move on to actually talking about some cricket that actually matters rather than our why, sort of catch why up? Don't we? So why don't we? I mean, it matters to us. I mean, yeah, it does. But I'm, I'm not sure people are going to want to listen to our our tales of. Uh, of, of Division Five Hampshire Cricket League cricket, but there we go. Um, well, so we got, Division Four. Oh, well, we're now Division Five. Sorry, I didn't tell you that we got relegated. Oh no, oh, devastating. Okay, soon to be restructured, of course. Um, anyway, the thing I want to start with first night, which has obviously got quite a lot of um, reaction on social media, is uh, the final of the of the One Day International between India women and England women. England women were already two 0 down in the series. So they weren't. They were sort of playing for, to find, win the final game of, of their summer, effectively, and they're playing at Lords to home of cricket. And um, England bowled particularly well, I thought, uh, for the first innings. Bowled India out for 169 all out in within within inside 46 overs. Uh, Sharma hit 68 not out, including seven fours, and Smithy Mandala at the top of the order 50 off 79. But the pick of the bowlers for England was uh, Kate Cross, 10 overs, uh, two mains, four for 26. Um, obviously, lots of really good positives. Freya Kemp chipping in with two for twenty-four. Sophie Eccleston uh, two for twenty-seven. Charlie Dean one for forty-three, and Freya Davis one for thirty-five. England then uh, kind of collapsed quite quickly and ended. They ended at one point uh, seven for sixty-five, and it resulted in Amy Jones and Charlie Dean looking to try and sort of keep the ship going, try and study the ship and keep things going. Uh, eventually, Amy Jones was um, caught for 28 and sort of left to Charlie Dean to try and sort of try and get England as close as possible towards the uh, the ultimate score. And it got down to the final wicket. Charlie Dean was, um, was on the non-striker's end. Fred Davis, number 11, was batting. And, well, if you, if you haven't seen it, um, Charlie Dean effectively gets um, man-cad uh, from the non non strikers end and is given out after an um, umpire review. Obviously, we're going to talk through this in a bit more length. And um, yeah, it's given out. And that's that's the final wicket. Three 0 India win the series. England bowled out of 153 all out, lose by about 15 runs. There's utter outcry from both sides. Um, Twitter storm sort of going over. Lots of opinions, lots of discussion. And I'm going to fire this over straight to Johnny. Your thoughts on it, please, sir, to start with. Uh, so I have uh, over over the last couple of years since we've been doing this show, my, my opinion on the man can has has changed slightly, or being run out at the non strikers end. Um, Charlie Dean is out. Like, there's, there's not a shadow of a doubt about it. Like, it, regardless of the conversation around it being in the spirit of the game or not, it is within the laws of the game in a game that India were trying to win. Um, so I my my personal opinion is there is nothing wrong with. It. Um, it may look bad, and you know, no one wants to see a, a, a sports person crying uh, or being you know, so unhappy at the end of a game, which she, she put in a really good performance. But you can see uh, when it's slowed down, and you see the footage from square on. She is not looking at the bowler. She is clearly out of her ground. And according to the letter of the law of the game, she is out. Now, the outcry that goes with it, you know, there's an awful lot of discussion around the spirit of cricket and its affiliation and some of the potential racial undertones that go with it. You know, the spirit of cricket stems from a time in Victorian England when cricket was predominantly the white man's game. 
And the spirit of cricket is seen by some as an attempt to sort of cling to some Western superiority um, over other cricketing nations. Now, the reality, of course, is that the Indian players were, were seeking a wicket. They'd spy an opportunity. Uh, it didn't look to me that Charlie Dean was going to get out any other way. Um, she seemed pretty solid, I think, on the way to what would have been her maiden first-class 50. And yeah, they, they took a legitimate wicket-taking opportunity. Now, optically, it might look bad. It might have you know, ruined the series a little bit, a series that England had already lost. Uh, but I think the dismissal is fair. Um, and regardless of the chat around the spirit of cricket, it's the laws of the game that matter. And uh, I think India did the right thing. So, obviously, the law is 41.16, which says the non-striker leaving his or her ground early states if the non-striker is out of his or her ground at any time from the moment the ball comes into play until the instant when the bowler would normally have been expected to release the ball, the non-striker is liable to be run out. Okay, and obviously, I think it was more... Uh, have, you, have you seen... You've seen the clip, Johnny. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, was, I watched the game, yeah. Um, and obviously, from that, it's sort of... Um, I don't know, it sort of just feels like it was kind of premeditated in a way. The bowler knew that's what it was gonna, what she was going to do and she was sort of waiting for Charlie Dean. Obviously, a lack of, you could perhaps suggest, focus from, from Charlie Dean at this point. Kind of wasn't watching, kind of just kept walking and it kind of seems, yeah. it kind of seems a bit, she's, uh, Charlie Dean's a little a bit further out the crease than you perhaps would have expected her to be in that instance. I think so. I think, I think perhaps as well, it's she wasn't expecting it. Yeah, I, I, until very recently, haven't watched an awful lot of, of women's one-day international cricket. Um, but I would be very surprised if man-cads happen at all. Um, so it's probably a method of dismissal that she had not even considered before. And I think it, it might show a certain degree of naivety, perhaps. She's quite a young player. Um, but I think more likely is it just hadn't occurred to her as an option, which I think has as much to do with it as anything. Now, obviously, the Indians have, have seen this and, and concocted it as a, as a legitimate uh, strategy to take that wicket and it's worked um, I think part of the outpouring of, of I don't want to say anger that's perhaps the wrong word but discontent about the decision is that I think it prompted some unfortunate scenes at the end of what had been quite a nice series um, but ultimately the, the more women's cricket is professionalised and becomes serious and the competition is fair the more you're going to see things like this and the more decisions are going to become unpleasant um, so I think it is a natural part of the game. I don't think I personally don't think it spoiled the series too much, but it is definitely a premeditated wicket-taking opportunity manufactured by the Indians as a legitimate wicket-taking strategy. And I think Dean has just walked into the trap. But it kind of again from looking at the footage, and the more and more I look at it, I kind of I kind of felt like um, the bowler was past a release point. Was past the release point, and that's that's the problem, isn't it? That's that's what the line is, isn't it? And I almost kind of felt like uh, I don't know if you saw the umpires. So you instantly went for that dead ball, went for dead ball signal, and I kind of thought, oh, what's going on here? Like it was kind of a, and I and I don't thought to myself, hasn't it has a? Because obviously, again, when we talk about the spirit of, spirit of the game, spirit of cricket, has a um, has a warning been given? Has a warning been mentioned? But obviously, there's been some really interesting sort of Twitter analysis around it. Um, Sort of showing quite a few times where Charlie Dean had been backing up quite a length throughout the innings, sort of seems there. But you know, it's, it's, it's those sort of moments, isn't it, where you sort of talk about yes, it is in the law game, yes, it can happen, but obviously taken away from um, everything that we saw from that moment, it's that sort of way that you'd you'd want to win a game. And I guess, like you said, like like you've gone through, you've sort of gone from those sort of those decisions and gone from there. And I think that's that's the thing we've got to take away really. Until the this law has been decided, whether it's staying in or not staying in, or if there's a clear response, we've got to go from there. But on the same time, we keep painting uh, the bowler as the villain here when actually it's the when it's the batter that's actually taking the advantage. And you know, it's it, it's never fine margin, isn't it? It's um unfortunately it looks like a horrible way to End of innings, but if the if the batter's been doing it all game, and you see that opportunity, then you're going to take that opportunity. It's, it's, you, in some to some extent, it's no different to a stumping. I guess the only thing is it's pure shock because of how um, the ball's not actually been in theory bowled into play in a certain way. I suppose that's the way. And I guess with a stumping, it becomes a bit more clearer because the batter you you can clearly see have made a mistake by coming out of coming out of the crease. So kind of see it from all those perspectives, and I guess it's kind of. Um, it's kind of just a, a bit of a shock more than anything else because it's no different to those you know when the 
when the batter hits the ball back and it, you get a little fingertip off the ball and the stumps go flying. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, you can clearly see those differences. And I know people are going to have lots of opinions on this. But my personal opinion, I think, is the... Uh, I think the man cad's got to... Uh, the law's got to change or it's got to become a lot clearer. And I think I think the other side is... I think it was more of a... I kind of felt the empires were shocked by it and weren't really too sure how to respond to that dismissal, really. I don't know what you thought of it, Johnny. Well, I think so. I think I think you're absolutely right in terms of the umpire's response because um, it is not something that happens often in women's cricket. And uh, But I think, as I said earlier, the more and more professionalised the women's game gets, uh, I mean this in the sense of you know, the, the money and the strategy and the tactics that will go into it, the more you will find instances like this where you know, a wicket needs to be manufactured from somewhere and you know, the, the, the man cad or being run out of the non-striker's end is a legitimate wicket-taking device, um, and you know teams should use every every uh, uh, asset at their disposal to take these wickets. And it is unfortunate, and you're you're right to to to, to highlight that the bowler is being painted as the villain. I think unnecessarily when it is more often than not carelessness on the part of the bat. Now, it, it comes down to two things. I think with the batters when they're doing this, they're either stealing a march. You know, they are they are not cheating, but they are trying to do something to get an advantage, which is leaving the ground early, or they're just being careless. I think Dean may have been being careless, but we look at the original, the, the, the first man-cad, when um, Vidu man-cad ran out Bill Brown in 1956, I think. Um, and shortly after the game, the Australian Bill Brown in an interview said, I deserved it. You know, I was walking out of my ground. You know, he was right to do it. Um, and the bowler in that instance was 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 uh, villainised because of what he did. It was again deemed to be against the spirit of cricket. But I think the, the spirit of cricket, as you say, we'll, we'll come back to it another day because it is worthy of plenty of discussion on its own right. The spirit is not the laws of the game. And actually the spirit of cricket means nothing in competitive sport um, when the laws are there. So y- yes, it's a nice thing to cling to. Yes, it's a nice thing to aspire to. But in the world of professional sport when your objective is to win, I think the spirit can go hang. Um, and this is just an example, I think, of, of, of what happens when teams want to win and, and will use everything they have at their disposal to do so. Yeah, and obviously just quickly going through uh, a bit of sort of looking at the sort of history of uh, man-cadding and such. Bill Brown, you're absolutely right, was the 1947-1948 um, series between Australia and India. And obviously the most recent uh man cadded international test cricket was in 1970-79 Pakistan versus Australia um, sort of coming to this is obviously the most one of the most famous we've seen was back in 2014 when Josh Butler was run out of Edgebaston uh, by uh, Sunil Nayaka uh, from Sri Lanka we've seen it um, I'm sort of just in a quick count I was just sort of curious how many sort of dismissals have sort of taken place and we've got around just under 50 if you look at all forms of cricket of where man cadding has um, taken place in the history of cricket, so it's obviously been well accomplished and dismissals come in place. But of course, Charlie's D dismissal from the bowling of Sharma uh, being man cad was the first instance we saw this in a women's ODI international. We've seen it once before in a Cameroon versus Uganda game in a women's um, T20 international, but we've not seen it before in the women's game. So, like, like I said, going back to your previous point, and I just think I don't know. I just I think the law's got to be clearer, and I think that's probably where we should probably leave that sort of instance, Johnny. Obviously, I know we've... But the thing I would probably say as well, I don't know about you, but I've sort of started to notice more and more bowlers trying to use this form of tactic in a club cricket match as well. well we've we've seen it. We covered it last season when in a, a County Division 5 game, uh, in, a, in a game that we were not going to win, um, one of our players did it and the captain didn't withdraw the appeal. Now, at the time, I think given the context of the game and how it was going, I was disappointed our captain didn't withdraw it. Um, hadn't been playing at a higher standard. And that, this is the thing, I think context is very important. You know, If it was a must-win game <laughs> at a decent level, then I think it becomes legitimate. At a level much lower down where players have much less you know, situational awareness, much less skill to enact this properly, I think it does become a little silly. Um, but yeah, it, it's becoming more common, I think. And it's, I think the more common it becomes, it does add an interesting extra dynamic to the game. Because I back up quite a long way when I'm at the non-striker's end. And I often ask, particularly in friendly fixtures, like, are we, are we man-cadding? And very often the umpires will go, I'm not going to bother. 
Um, but in some cases, in competitive fixtures, you'll probably get it, so it makes sense. But I think the more the more we see it at a professional level, the more we'll see it at, 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 our, at our grade of cricket as well. Could be a mixed blessing. Indeed, and I just want to I just want to just put this into context, and just want to see your reaction to this. So back in 1981, in the World Cup, uh, the World Cup a Series Cup at Melbourne Cricket Ground, we saw Australia play New Zealand, and this took place on the 1st of February 1981. And you may remember this, um, this was the final ball in the final over, and New Zealand needed six to win. Trevor Chappell comes up to bowl the ball, and he bowls an underarm ball to New Zealand's Brian McKenney. Okay, and obviously during the time, uh, an underarm an underarm throw was not deemed to be an illegal ball. But obviously, all that led um, McKenney to be able to do for the New Zealand was to block that ball. He needed six to win; you could only block it. And obviously, after the aftermath of that match, it was sort of considered to be not in the spirit of the game, and um, considered not to be playing cricket in the fair way. And obviously, led to outrage, and eventually saw an official amendment to international laws on how to play cricket and obviously prevented this occasion occurring. Are we not seeing, would we not put man-cadding in the same element as that instance back in 1981? No. And I will explain for why. And for me, it comes down to a question of skill. So bowling an underarm delivery to a batsman, uh, to a batter, I beg your pardon, the bowling of the underarm requires no skill and it prevents any sort of skillful display on the part of the batsman. The mancad uh, does not involve that sort of that sort of behaviour. The mancad is part of the natural flow of the game. It actually requires a good deal of skill to time correctly and enact correctly. And it's not about restricting the on-strike batter from scoring the run. It's not about you know deliberately breaking down the game. It's still a legitimate part of regular gameplay. You know, so in that position, it entirely prevents the batsman scoring. Whereas uh, in the mancad, there's there's far more ramifications for it. It's far more skillful, and I think for me, it comes down to the the question of skill, or it comes down to the question of how much is this part of the regular gameplay. And even at the time, I think in the 1980s, the underarm ball was used so very rarely. I think Mike Brearley might might have tried it in a county game once, but I think it was rarely seen. And I think it was just seen as as being completely reprehensible in the context of the match. So I think the two are very different. I think it's a question of skill and regular gameplay. So I, I would I would say the two don't quite align in terms of context, but I actually see the opposite being true. I think man-canning will become way more common because they will simplify the laws, as I think they have done, where they've moved it from uh, to the to different method of dismissal. I forget exactly where it is in the law book, but I think it will become a more acceptable form of the game, particularly when we stop clinging to slightly outdated notions of the spirit of it, particularly at high-performing international level. And I think we'll hold that debate there for another day, and I think it's—I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. I think this idea of the spirit of cricket at some point has got to be brought back and adjusted to, because obviously when we think about the laws of the game and how they're applied, I think especially with cricket, if you think about some of the dismissals there are on cricket, it often comes down to someone's interpretation of what they've seen as opposed to what we see. So there's always going to be two different sides. There's still going to be out, outrage and uh, disappointment from different sides and from different people about that result. But obviously, it's happened. And I think the thing I like the most, and I'm going to leave with the listeners before we go to a bit quick advert break, of course, is um, like the very next day in the uh, Rachel um, the Rachel Flint uh, Cup, we saw... Um, Charlie Dean bowling for the Seven Seven Vipers goes as like, sort of like doing like a jokey sort of man cad um, against the Northern Diamonds, which I thought was which thought fair play. It was nice to see um, her sort of have a smile on her face and see the funny sides of things. So after the break, we'll have Johnny's reflection so far on the Pakistan England T Twenty series so far. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. 
At A.J. Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. So we, we did a, a brief preview on the show last week of, of uh, England's tour of Pakistan. She's got the, uh, the seven-game uh, T20 series up first, which I must admit I was originally sceptical of, but I'm now a massive fan of. Uh, before we build up to the test series starting on the 1st of December. Um, obviously, uh, lots of ramifications with this. It's the first tour, uh, the first English tour to Pakistan since 2005, um, which is a massive boon for the country and for English cricket. We definitely owed uh, the Pakistani cricket board that for having cancelled them in 2020 uh, when they had the good grace to come over here uh, during that horrid COVID summer and everything that, that entailed. Now, seven games I thought initially might be quite long uh, for, a, a bilateral, uh, for a bilateral T20 series. But actually, it's given much more time for these sort of in-game narratives to develop. You get much more than just doing a sort of simple straight shootout in three games. Four games in, uh, as we are when recording the show on Tuesday night, the series is very evenly poised. And we've seen an excellent contest between bat and ball and some excellent displays of, of high-quality quality cricket between both, uh, both nations. Two all at the moment, uh, all to play for. Um, and some really, really notable performances from a few really stand-up performers. Now, we'll start with England, uh, because I think that's where the narrative, I'm going to start calling it, naming these narratives, um, is clearest. You know, by, by no means, I think, England have got their T20 World Cup team sorted. There's a lot of different things at stake. There's a lot of different players uh, vying for positions, and a lot of stuff emerging. You know? I would not have predicted before this series the return of Alex Hales, for example, coming in after a freak injury to Johnny Bairstow on the golf course. Uh, Hales is back in, a, in the limited over setup for the first time since 2019. Eh? Now, there's a lot has been made of, of Hales having fallen out of favour with Owen Morgan, and we don't need to go into the details of that. Um, you, people feel free to Google them yourselves. Um, but it's safe to say, I think, that his return has definitely added a really interesting dimension to this selection debate. You know, in the first game, Phil Salt and Alex Hales open side by side, two players who are more likely than not going to be in competition with each other uh, for these opening slots uh, come the World Cup. And they got off to a good start. Alex Hales, uh, 53 or 40 in his first game, reminding everyone of the quality that he brings to the crease in white ball cricket. You know, he stands tall, he hits the ball, stands tall in the crease, hits the ball extraordinarily hard, and you know, he, looks, he looks in as good a form as he was when he left. Now, there's plenty more to make of this series, I think. You know, Darren Milan's role at number three, his longevity in the side. Um, and I want to to really extol the virtues of Ben Duckett and Harry Brook as batsmen, who look absolutely phenomenal. They've been in a great run of form, lots of good scores, the two of them. And the 360-degree the, the stroke play that Harry Brook possesses is, is quite extraordinary. And despite whatever the bowlers throw at them, they seem to be able to score runs at, at, at ease. And Duckett, who's I think only going to this series and only played one game of T20 international cricket before this, um, looks really at home at the highest level. And turning to the bowlers as well, there's plenty to write home about. You know, I thought initially it would be a spinner-dominated series and Ali and Rashid looked good in the first game. But Mark Wood's return looked truly triumphant. I think that's possibly one of the, uh, one of the quickest spells uh, by an English bowler, certainly that I've ever seen, hitting 97 miles an hour at one point in that over. And he looked phenomenal. Really, really good nick that looks very promising for the World Cup. Sam Curran looks a bit samey, but has taken wickets. Luke Wood looked quite good. Richard Gleeson still there. Good to see Dorsey getting a game as well. Always going to represent a Hampshire boy. But there's been some really strong standout performances. Uh, and as I say, the series, seven matches, really evenly poised going into these last three games. I think Pakistan will snatch it, but I don't think that is a reflection necessarily on the England players. Lots of good auditions for the World Cup here. Lots of good options. Plenty of selection headaches for the England selectors to make. But I think they're good headaches to have. Really promising, very exciting. And I shall watch these last three games very intently indeed. I'm looking forward to the rundown to the World Cup. A good series for Pakistan, good for England to be there. And I think really, really promising uh, for England's white ball game, particularly the strength and depth of the squad and some of the young players coming through. A really, really promising series, I think. You're listening to George Marshall James on Three Valleys Radio. 
And welcome back to Let's Talk Cricket. And I'm delighted now to be joined by uh, Steve Kirby. Good evening, Steve. Long time no see. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, George. It's good to be back, mate. Good to be back. I'm sorry I've not been on for a little while. Um, just the season's been crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And of, of course, um, Somerset uh, last week uh, have officially announced that they, um, they've stayed up in Division 1. And how important was that for a goal this season for Somerset? Oh, Absolutely amazing. Look, we'll be the first to admit this year that we've um, been hit by some pretty poor batting, um, some pretty ill form at different times. Um, We've been hit by multiple different, which could seem like excuses. Um, You know, when you lose people like Craig Overton and Jack Leach um, and others to injury for the majority of the the championship campaign, you're going to struggle a little bit. That said, we didn't play well enough early enough. We were always playing catch-up a little bit. Um, but to actually get ourselves in a position where we have stayed up um, and play some really, really exciting cricket over the last few championship matches really bodes well. And I, I think the the batting lineup is going to get boosted with the two signings that we've got coming in, which will make com- competition for places, as you know. Um, so, yeah, the future is... It's pretty good in that, you know, and and like I said, it's all about making sure that we um, achieve that mission of staying up, really. And would you say um, the two signings of uh, Sean Dixon and Tom Kodakadmore were two really important bits of business that Somerset needed to do um, based on how the season was so far this year? Yeah, look, there's no point in sugarcoating it around. Um, you know, take take a few very good success stories throughout the season with the batters, including, you know, that includes Tom Abel, um, you know, Lewis Goldsworthy, James Rue, you know, it's and to a certain extent towards the end of the season, uh, George Bartlett's done brilliantly. Um, you know, we've not really stood up and been counted as a batting unit. And to stand up there in the first division and play against these top sides... You need to post a good first division, a first division, um, a first inning score, and we've not been doing that. So whenever we've been bowling, we've always been playing catch up. Now, when you've got people like Lewis Gregory, Craig Overton, Josh David, Jack Brooks, Jack Leach, you know the the attack is completely different to when you put in, you know, dare I say it, people like. Um, you know, Casey in there for his first season. And he's done brilliantly this year. And and like I said, it, it's a completely different team when you've not when you've not scored the runs that you need to score and you're playing catch up in the games. Um I think we've been able to play on pitches towards the middle and towards the end of the season, which have been a lot less grass on the surface, which has allowed our batters to see that new ball off and then really capitalise, which is really, you know, been important um, and then back our bowling unit um, but like you know to actually stay up in the first division side or to even compete um, you need at least two well certainly two if not three people getting a thousand runs or close to it um, and we've only had one this year and I think that's the first time someone's got a thousand runs inside the first three you know inside the last three years so that tells you that we've not been scoring enough runs um, historically, over the last two or three years, really at the club. Yeah, and obviously uh, Tom Abel leading from the front there. He didn't, he'd, he'd, I'd be interested to you know to see what how you felt Tom Abel's season has gone really because obviously I know he, he missed a bit of time out of injuring things. So those are thousand runs could have very easily been twelve hundred, thirteen hundred runs. You know, do you think he was? Do you think he's been a bit unlucky this season? Perhaps miss out on you know, I know he played a bit for the England Lions, but do you think it's it's a long time opportunity maybe for him to get a bit of a call up in the England side? Well I hope so. Um desperately hope so. And, you know, I mean, hey, what a fantastic human being, um, first and foremost. He's scored runs considerably over the last two or three years, which has been amazing to see. So yeah, absolutely he should be getting I mean, look, how many people have scored a thousand runs this year in, in you know, in first class cricket? I think there's only three, uh, three or four, I think it is, something like that, without looking at the averages. Um, and he's up there, I think he's third. So, he, you know, he's he's stood up and been counted and he's done that over the last two 
certainly the last two seasons um, that I'm aware of. That injury came at a terrible time. You know, that hamstring injury again. It didn't affect much his championship cricket. He played pretty much all the games. Um, but it did affect his 100 um, opportunities, which I know is a bit of a, a sticking point because um, everybody else went off to play in that big tournament and he was he was rehabbing. But it's a true testament to him, A, as a person, B, as a leader. Um, you know, he leads from the front. And look, look, the way that he's played this year has been absolutely awesome. That last game when we really needed somebody to stand up, get 100 in both innings, um, fair play to him, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I've got everything crossed for him that, you know, um, you know, McCullum and, uh, and Stokes think that it's worth sticking him up there. And um, from a sort of bowling unit perspective then, Steve, has it been a bit quite frustrating not to have Craig Overton as much as we perhaps wanted this season with how well he's been bowling, especially in the last few games of Somerset? It is, because when you have somebody like that of that calibre, either A in the team um, and just around the team, not just what he does on the pitch. Um, he, he creates an aura about him. Um, and we're quite a quiet team in the sense of, you know, I'm not saying that we don't get up and at them, but he really is an all-guns-a-blazing cricketer, bat, ball, in the field. And he adds a certain dimension to the team. When he's not there, there's a real difference. Um, and we don't have anybody of that calibre standing up, that same character, you know, especially when he's in the field. He really makes things happen. Um, I was looking at, actually, the figures today. I wasn't, I've not been down at the Canterbury game, obviously, because it's my last week and I've been trying to sort everything out here with the family and stuff before I move. But, um, you know, I've watched uh, a little bit of today and he hasn't actually scored. He hasn't actually been able to get the wickets that he, he got in the last game. Um, and I don't think he's bowled that badly. It's just the wicket's been pretty placid. But, you know, when you've got somebody like that within the team, he, he's awesome. And you're going to miss him whenever he's not around, really. And him and Jack Leach. Yeah, they have a certain aura about them, which um, the team desperately needs. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Somerset as well, making two really important uh, overseas signings as well to help with the back end of the campaign. How important have they been in the dressing room? Um, well, brilliant. I mean, look, when you've got somebody like of that calibre, Imam, Imam Okak, I mean, I, I, I slung at him and sort of threw at him for the first two or three sessions before he went out there. And I was like, wow, you know, this guy can really play. Um, I didn't realise how well he could play. He takes on the short ball really, really well. He defends the ball well outside off stump. One of his Achilles heels was being around the wicket where people would bowl at him around the wicket because his alignment wouldn't be quite the same. But he's worked so hard. He hasn't actually had the fruits um, of his batting that he, you know that his talent shows, really, or, or deserves. Um, I hope we get a chance to see him again. He's had to go back um, to Pakistan because he's got a family. Um, I think it's his father that's not been very well. And he's had to go back and make sure everything's OK there. So he's left earlier than he would have liked to because he would have liked to have played in this last game. Um, but a great guy around the team. Um, a lovely fella. Quiet. Um, and then you move to Sajid. And he is a character. Honestly, what an absolute belter of a human being he is. He makes me smile every day. Um, he's like a little pocket rocket. He's a Pakistan version of Rulof Andamov. Um just everything's energy on the field. He's a bit of a prankster around the dressing room. Um, always funny, always wanting to have a laugh with everybody. Um, he's got that cheeky, sort of impish type of sort of wanting to get around in the dressing room and, and have a laugh with everybody. And he's a fantastic character. He's a good bowler. Um, I mean, he's not really, again, he bowled brilliantly in the first game where it didn't spin. Didn't bowl that well in the in the last one. But in this one, it looks like he's bowled a lot, lot better. Um, he bowled it a little bit too quick um, at times um, because obviously on pitches here in England, to get the spin, you've got, you've got to get that pace, that shape, that up and down drop. Whereas when you're in Pakistan or in the subcontinent, you've got to drive it into the surface a little bit more and bowl it quicker to get the, you know, to get the purchase out of the surface. So a bit slower, a little bit more turgid. 
So he's not, and he has adapted and he has found ways of being able to get the ball up and down a lot, lot better and get better shape on the ball. And just, it's not about for a spinner bowling slowly, slower, because when a ball, when a spinner bowls slower, they lose their energy on the ball. That's not about that. It's about finding the right pace and the right shape on English surfaces. And it's not something that um, Sajid will have seen much of. Um, and actually, when you saw in, um, Jack Leach come back from India, when he came back this time, he again fell into the same trap. He bowled just a little bit too quickly and a little bit too flat to start with in the season. And we had to go back to some basics with him to get his up and down shape. So he's still putting the same energy on the ball, but it's just about making sure that the ball uh, grips off the surface. And there's a certain pace that that ball does grip in England, um, you know, predominantly. And, it, and uh, I think Sajid had found, you know, the opportunity to come and bowl here in England. I would have, I would have found it. I would have suspected from him he wouldn't have been able to have played on surfaces like this. So it's been a great learning curve for him too. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of moving away now from looking at past Somerset, um, I want to sort of talk about the announcement that was sort of made last week by the ECB. And obviously there's been a lot of talk this season about uh, English domestic cricket being a lot of cricket being played. Maybe at times too much cricket being tried to fit into the calendar on top of all the other sort of competitions that are happening around the world as well. Obviously this high uh, performance reviews taking place and just... Really, Steve, just wanted your sort of initial thoughts, reactions from the sort of that high performance review, thinking about, you know, reducing the amount of first class games, trying to fit everything in, maybe putting the fifty over competition, which obviously I know when we've spoken last time on the show we were a bit a bit disappointed with Somerset, uh, not for Somerset, obviously from there, but how the game was played to make sure like the Somerset players are more available for the match for matches of fifty over competition. Just sort of more interested in sort of how your what your thoughts were initially from that, that report. Well, look, I mean, the report's an interesting one because they're not going to get everything right and they're not going to make everyone happy. Um, but ultimately, um, they, they've, from what I can understand, they've made the 50-over competition a little bit more like an FA Cup style, which, I've got, which I'm not um, against in any way. I think that's actually a good idea. So you actually play it a lot more play some less games, but you you play it with a lot more emphasis. Because, I mean, playing 10 games in that tournament at the end of the season or middle towards the end of the season, you know, when you've got depleted squads is a really, really difficult thing to do. And we've seen that over the last few years when you lose 10 or 12 players, uh, 8, 9, 10, 11 players, I think it is, to the 100. And I might not have even done a, a, a justice there. It might have been a few more that we've lost to the 100. Other teams have done the same thing. They've really struggled to not only field side, but keep the quality. And I think that 50-over tournament done at a better time of the year where more players are available. You know, it's a tournament that is still a World Cup to be played in that tournament in a few years' time. So we still need to be able to know how to play that type of cricket. And it's okay playing T20 cricket, and that's absolutely fine. And you go out there and you smack it, and that's absolutely wonderful. But 50-over cricket... It's much more of a story. It's a lot lengthier. Yes, you can under good pitches go out and give it a right good thumb, and and that's absolutely fine. But when you know there's times and places where you can um, put the foot on the accelerator, but then there's times and places where you've got to build in innings, and I think you've got to play that cricket. If you don't play that fifty-over cricket, all of a sudden we then go into a tournament in the World Cup and you're not playing it, you're gonna get you're gonna come unstuck. And I think that's good. That's good to see it. It's a lot more knockout-based, FA Cup style, I like that. With regards to the reducing of county cricket, not sure I like that. And let's be straight about this. In Somerset, there were 44 days of cricket. Um, sorry, in 44 days, four days of cricket. Now, that is absolute terrible. For a hotbed of cricket in the southwest. To only have four or five days play within 43 days is absolutely out of order. I may not have those figures right, but it's something along those lines. And I know that Somerset are absolutely, and that is the powers that be, the chairman, the chief exec, and the club in itself, the membership, are not going to agree to what um, has come out in this independent, you know, this in this review. You know, they're asking 
they're asking county cricket and county clubs um, to make these types of decisions. Well, they're not going to they're not going to sit themselves into a position where they bolt themselves into a non-existence. Um, we know that the hundred is here to stay. We know that that needs to stay, and we know that that is you know it's a really really good opportunity for um, for bringing new audiences into the game. But I. I do honestly feel that county cricket needs to have stayed in the same way. So reducing it is no good. Um, I think we've reduced the amount of T20 games as well, from what I can gather. But that's just another opportunity. I mean, look, how many other places in the country get sold out sold out crowds like we do? And it's a shame. It's a real shame. So you can probably tell from my uh, reactions to it, I'm not a million, oh, I'm, I'm not a hugely happy with what's gone on with it, really. And the fact that the counties have now had to mill it all over and make their own decisions and they've handed it, if you like, batted it back into the county's court, I think is a bit of a, a cheap shot, really. I think ECB needs to stand, stand up and make some decisions. Indeed, indeed. And sort of moving away from that now, Steve, um, of course, it was announced um, a couple of weeks ago of about your new appointment. Um Seems yeah. to be taking taking up a role as a bowling lead lead bowling coach at Zimbabwe national team. Um, could you yeah, sort, that's of, it. sort of tell us how that how that sort of came about? First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Yes, George. Look, I mean, firstly, can I just say um, a hugely exciting opportunity. Um, quite an emotional time for me and the family um, to make a decision like this because I love Somerset. I absolutely love being in the southwest. You know, I moved from Derby um, to come down here two years ago and I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed the club, the members. The members have taken me under, you know, taken me back um, and and have treated me so well, um, as as all the members at, uh, at Somerset do. Um, and to come from a player now to be and come back as a coach, I felt hugely privileged. Um there's some unbelievable talent at the club. Um, I've really, really enjoyed watching some of the young bowlers come through into the first team. Um, I can't take the credit for that. That's their, that's their um, ingenuity, their skill level. And more to the point, actually, the youth structure, the pathway structure that Matt Drakeley and uh, Andy Griffith run. You know, with people like Sonny Baker and Casey Ulridge, Ned Leonard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, coming in, I, it's been really, really a pleasure to work with them. I mean, obviously, I've been here to help them with that transition, and I've loved it. I've really, 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 I've loved that. So I know I'm, I'm digressing slightly away from the role, but I just wanted to make sure that uh, people know that how much this decision has been a big one, and it's not something I've taken lightly. Hugely looking forward to going taking on an international role. Um, I am moving away. Gosh, I'm, you know, I'm moving away to Harare for two years. Um, my kids and my family are going to stay here. Um, so that's going to be tough. Um, you know, and, and they've been brilliantly supportive behind me. Um, they're going to come out at Christmas for three weeks and I'm going to get back a little bit after Christmas. So I'm going to spend a fair bit of time away from home. But it's a dream of mine to try and get into, into international cricket and be the very best coach I can be and provide for my family. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you sort of took my next question um, straight away from me, Steve, really. It was about sort of um, sort of what Somerset meant to you and sort of thing. So I'll come back to the couple of questions I have linked to that a bit later. But, yeah, um, no So when did it, did it, obviously, just for listeners, when sort of looking at these sort of opportunities that come up in cricket, was it sort of the job, was the job advertised? Is it sort of advertised as sort of a, on sort of like a job advert and sort of did you go in that way or did you... Um, how did you sort? Of, how did that sort of well, come about, really? Um, it, it 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 was advertised, yeah. Um, well, whether it was advertised, but it was certainly went out to a headhunting sort of. Um, you know, they they went out to a shortlist of people that they wanted to bring in, and obviously with my um, history with uh, David Outen, who I've got a huge amount of respect for and time for, I spent some time with him when I was with the MCC. He was with Middlesex, so I known him from there. He was actually batting coach at Somerset when I was down here. And then obviously I went from MCC uh, up to Derby, spent three years within there. I was his assistant coach and bowling coach up there. 
loved what we did up there and I loved the way he went about his business. Um, and then he sort of approached me sort of middle part of the year um, to say, would you be willing to come in? Um, but his actual first conversation was, do you know any bowling coaches? And I was like, I was like well, I'm, <laughs> ironically, I do. Um, and he said, no, I'm glad you really said that. And he said, but I know how loyal you are and I know how much it means to you to do a good job. And they wanted me to go in June, actually, to take on some pretty, you know, a big role there they had. And they've done great. I mean, they beat Australia, Bangladesh. They've had some wins against in India as well. So, but what I wasn't going to do, I wasn't going to just leave Somerset in the lurch at that point in May, June. Uh, we had a massive job on our hands with the, with the T20. Um, you know, we had a huge job on our hands at that stage to actually stay up. Um, and, I, and, I, and I did say to him and Zimbabwe Cricket that I, you know, if you're asking me to start this job now, then I, I will have to say no. Um, but they were brilliant. Um, they said, no, no, we appreciate that and we support, you know, the fact that you're loyal and want to make sure that you do the right job. It just wouldn't have been good for me, George, and I wouldn't have been able to do that to the Somerset fans or the players. It just wasn't, just not the way I go about my business. So I made sure I, I saw my job out here to the end of the season. Somerset were amazing. Andy Hurry and Jason Kerr were brilliant with me. I, I kept them fully in the loop of everything. Um, and then when the time was right, um, and only when the timing was right, I announced obviously I was going to leave at the end of the year. Um, it's been a very you know, emotional opportunity or chance to, to speak to a lot of the players. Um, but the one thing I always say is, you know, if you do things right, I have a little motto in my life. It's DTRT, do the right thing. If you do the right thing, then people will respect you for it and hopefully the door will be open one day again for Somerset if they ever want me back. Um, and I'll, hopefully I'll be a better coach and a better person for when the next day I do come back. I'm sure, Steve, from your, obviously from your from playing for Somerset, for all the work you've done behind the scenes and coaching, that door's always going to be open, mate. Always going to be open that way. So... Um, Obviously, it's going to be a, a sort of a big sort of adjustment for you, as you said earlier on. You fly out, you fly out on Sunday. Am I am I right? You fly out on Sunday, yeah. and then is it yeah. is it hit, is it hitting the ground running straight away? Is it meeting the players? Is it meeting the coaching staff? How's your sort of first few weeks in the job going to look like? Oh, gosh, I don't know anybody. Um, I only know Houts really. Um, I know Blessing, um, as Urbani, um, obviously from um, his days at North Ants, um, and I know a few people. Um, only to say hello to, uh, but I don't know them. And that's going to be my first job is to really get to know them and, and build that trust relationship with them. But we've got to hit the ground running because we're hitting the World Cup straight away. Um, and they're doing great. Look, I mean, they're beating teams left, right and centre. So the fact that I'm going to get in, they're going to they're going to beat nobody. <laughs> I'm going to stuff them right up. But um, no, I won't do that, obviously. Um, I don't know what the first two weeks is going to be about in the sense of, it's going to be getting my feet under the table, uh, introducing myself to the lads. I'm not um, a diving type of coach anyway. I'm hugely a facilitator, big caring coach, just make sure everybody's okay, got what they need. Um, I know what the team strategy is because we've, I've worked so well with Houts in the past. And my philosophy and strategy around team strategy, especially in T20 cricket, um, is one that I share wholeheartedly with House. So that'll be what I'll be doing, helping what they're already doing, how they're going about it, building confidence and and, and belief in their skills, which they, some of them have got some amazing skills in one-day cricket. Um, and then it's just be a case of helping them understand tactically how to bowl at certain players following that strategy. Um, so it'll be articulating that, just getting just getting good relationships with them really more than anything, mate. And the job's more end-to-end. -to -end. It's not, although it's working with the national side, which I'm hugely excited about, and, there's, and obviously that's the main emphasis of the job, but it's more of a talent development, talent identification, talent confirmation role throughout the whole of the Zimbabwe pathway throughout the country. So it's a case of helping out other coaches within the system um, helping them set some good principles, um, a good talent development framework to make sure that they've, you know, that they're what they're doing is good. But how can we make it better? How we how we making sure that we're succession planning, not just the next lads that are coming into the side, 
what have we got coming up, coming through the pathway over the next five years, ten years, um, you know, which I've had a bit of experience in. So um, it's a full time end to end role. It's a really exciting job, honestly. I mean, if, if somebody pitched out a job to you and wrote it down and showed it to you, you, you know, you couldn't be more excited, really. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm buzzing for it on that front, hugely. And then, sort of, final question then, linking into sort of your into the new role. It's you, like I said, out to Australia straight away for this World Cup. And is there, um, <clears throat> is that is that going to be about how, how you sort of feeling about that being on sort of going to that sort of World Cup? Look, it's going to be massive. I mean, I'm really excited. I mean, we're going to be playing, we're going to be playing Scotland and Ireland, um, and ironically, in our groups, the West Indies. Now. I know Scotland a bit. I spent a lot of time with Scotland um, previously in my days with the MCC and and then our relationships we had with Derbyshire. And obviously I know um, Josh Davey quite well, so he's been giving me lots of banter, um, you know. And so I, I know him pretty well and I, and I know the Scottish lads quite nicely. And I know a little bit about the Irish boys. The West Indies team are going to be interesting because the teams that they've been putting out in the previous games they've had all their big guns been playing out in all the IPLs and all these T20 tournaments all over the world. So that's why they've found themselves in a qualifying section of the World Cup. Um, but then they've got the big fellas there. But you know what? There ain't nobody in T20 cricket you can beat anyone. If you get your ducks in a row and you get everything right and you and you line things up and you, you're disciplined, which Zimbabwe look like they are um, and have been showing that, um, brilliantly drilled, well, simply drilled as well with outs. Um, we've got a chance to create a few upsets. We only need two wins out of the first three and we're in the main tournament in the main super group. So wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be exciting? Um, so yeah, I'm buzzing for it. Honestly, I, I really can't wait. And I, Coaching T20 is, I've got, I've got a method. I've got a way of going about it. Um, and I just love... Helping people get the, you know get the best out of what they can do because it's only one over can flip the whole game around. No matter whether you're behind the eight ball or not. Yeah, absolutely. And then just sort of bring it finally to a close, uh, Steve. On our final couple of questions for you. Um, yeah. You're sort of reflecting on your time at Somerset, then I was just wondering whether you had sort of like a champagne moment, a sort of highlight, if you had to from your couple of years at Somerset as a coach. Sort of one of the things you last of lasting memories. I know you've talked quite a lot about the pathway and working with those younger players that are coming up, but have there been any sort of moments in the last couple of years you've thoroughly enjoyed being part of? Yeah, look, I've got I've had lots of moments on the pitch, but I didn't want to pinpoint anyone in particular um, or pinpoint one moment in particular because there are too many. Um, but for me, it's the relationships I've built up with the players. That's the champagne moment for me. You know, they know that I've had their back and I've supported and will carry on supporting them as players. The coaching staff know that I've been there to help them too, work really, really hard with them. They've got a brilliant coaching team at, at, at Somerset. So it's just been a the whole two years that I've had there, two and a bit years have been so, so exciting. Um, and I've learned so much. Like, I've dealt with international players before and I've worked with them. Um, but then, you know, when I've worked at Derby or I've worked, you know, at Canada or Scotland or wherever I've worked, they are international players. But when you're working with, say, people like Craig Overton, you're working with Tom Banton, you're working with, you know, Jack Leach, Lewis Gregory, these, these types of players, you know, you can't just... I can't really explain what it's like. You you work with them, and I'm a really positive person all of the time. So the bit that I've learned the most is you can't just be positive with them all the time. You can't just send them positive, dare I say it, codswallop, just to keep pumping their tyres up. Because as professional international players, they go, actually, no curve. That wasn't actually good, and this is where I need to be. And so the learning for me initially was look, make sure that you're really challenging the players. But when I do, part of my philosophy is all about creating evidence, evidence-based ideas. And that's what I've enjoyed the most, is working with these international players, as well as the younger ones, and the length and breadth of the players that 
you know, varying different abilities. Um, and then just building up those strong uh, relationships where they trust you and then you can challenge. And when you challenge, you give them evidence. And I've loved it. I really have. It. And, and that's been a great grounding for me to take forward now, moving forward. I don't know if I've answered that a little bit too much or not. I don't know, but there isn't any one particular moment that I've thoroughly enjoyed. I've just loved every minute of it. And then, uh, Steve, um, so on behalf of myself, Steve, um, I want to make a big, big thank you for being helping me set the show up first of all being our being our sort of eyes our ears and giving us the inside inside uh inside the changing room effectively at somerset it's been a real pleasure to get to know you on a personal level from this from doing this show and obviously i know all the listeners have thoroughly enjoyed listening to your contributions over the last couple of years here on let's talk cricket here on free values radio so can i first of all thank you for that and then secondly thank you for all the work you've done with somerset not just as a player but obviously as a coach as well over the last couple of years and I, I wish you all the best. And I know all the listeners will wish you all the best in your next endeavour with Zimbabwe. And we look forward to, fingers crossed, maybe one day now and again, getting you back on the show now and again to give us a bit of inside gossip in the international stage. I'd love to, definitely. Thanks again, George. And thanks to everybody as well for brilliantly supportive and being so warm and welcoming. Thank you.